Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Psalm 49, that's on page 472, or if you've got one of the large print blue Bibles, that's page 558. Psalm 49, we're going to read the whole psalm. the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. They should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool And the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for shale. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in shale with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never see and never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. This is God's words to us. Amen. Now, unless the Lord returns beforehand, uh, we will all die. Uh, Sorry to start off that way. Uh, I know we don't like talking about death or thinking about death, but it's the one thing that will come to us all. Uh, Benjamin Franklin is famed for the saying, In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Uh, Now you, along with everyone sitting around you, 
in 20, 50, 80 years, will have all died. Um, There will be another hundred or so gravestones gathering moss in uh, graveyards. It's pretty morbid. But now that that truth of impending death probably sits with some of us differently to the way it sits with others. Perhaps for you, the reality of, of death feels pretty distant. You've hardly ever been to a hospital, let alone a funeral. You're feeling healthy, you're verging on the invincible, really, and so is everyone around you. Perhaps for you it's different, actually feels pretty close at the moment. The, the loss of a loved one still sits heavily on your heart, or a recent call with a doctor has, has actually brought death much closer to the horizon. Now, we, we live in a world that, that generally hides death from us. It, it looms too big, really, for us to cope with, so we just hide it, we mask it, we ignore it. It's a little bit like the crematorium in Aberdeen. It's hidden. It's hidden behind the trees, low to the ground, so you can't see it unless you're right up close. But God doesn't actually want us to hide from the real and the true things about our existence. Psalm 49 that we're about to look at is it's all about our impending death, and God wants us to learn from it. Verse 1, hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. Listen up, everyone, whoever you are. Why? Because verse 3, my mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. As we look at life and death around us, we learn wisdom. As we let this psalm guide us in in how to learn from death, we will find death actually shaping our lives for the better. Because ignoring what the world is like leads to foolishness. As we'll see, it's a wasted life. But being properly open about the way the world works, learning from it, that brings wisdom, a true, a beautiful life. And the psalmist particularly wants us to see death in relation to money and wealth. These, these two are intertwined, and if we, we want to live life to the full, we, we've, we've got to see how. So after calling us to listen, the psalmist starts with a question in verse 5. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? Now, the psalmist is looking around him and he's seeing the rich and the powerful, people who are using their money for personal gain. Self is king. And he knows he could be afraid at that point. He's he's about to show it why he's not, but this is the big issue he wants us to see. We can fear the rich. We can fear the rich And he asks, why should I fear? There's clearly an expectation that he could. And I wonder if there are two quite different ways they bring fear. Now, firstly, they just create terror by what they do. Look at verse 4. It says, the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me. The rich cheat others. They trip them up. They grab them, in a sense, by their ankles so they fall flat on their face. They circle their victims to trap and to melt them dry. Why? Because money is their God. Their hearts are trusting in wealth, boasting in all they have. The the wealthy circle like vultures 
about to feast on their prey. They have everything going their way and others are just shoved under the bus. They, they loom over us like gods. You know, they've, they've got the political clout because they've got politicians in their pockets. They can do what they like because they own the police. You, you don't want them to notice you because you don't know what they'll do. That the world can be scary because it seems to be rigged against the poor in the hands of the rich. I mean, we just remember COVID, the, the rich, they just got richer. They were buying grand pianos because they weren't going on their usual expensive holidays abroad, whereas the, the poor struggled all the more. Rent payments had to be stalled, debt was mounting. It feels like everything just tips in favor of the rich. Or just think of the abuse of corruption. The victim can do nothing. It's terrifying for the underdog, the downtrodden, the poor, the the person on zero hours contract who can't afford to leave, the the drugged prostitute who can't escape her pimp. It's it's fearful to have the rich circling around, kind of with the world at their fingertips. It's power. I don't know all your lives, but perhaps that is actually your fear at the moment. But secondly, I wonder if there's another type of fear A fear not of being at mercy of the rich, but of missing out on what they have. I think we see that in verse 16. It says, be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. I think as we focus our gaze on the halls of power, the the limousines with blacked out windows, the red carpet, it, it sparkles, doesn't it? It makes our mouths water. It's, it's paraded before us as they boast in the abundance of their riches. You know, the, the famous and the glamour of their endless parties, the, the Hello magazine double spread, the TV advert of the well-dressed sports star. And we're afraid that we've missed out. That, that was life and we haven't had it. That, that was our chance and they took it all. Perhaps that's your fear. Fear fear of of the rich, fear of not being the rich. Why should I fear? Why do I fear? But here comes the wisdom. If the question is why should I fear, we're now given two answers, two reasons why we shouldn't. And first, we shouldn't fear because all will die. Verses 7 to 12, all will die. Everyone will die, whether the rich or the poor, whether wise or stupid. As you, as you walk along the street after this service, everyone you see walking past you will die. They'll be buried in the ground at some point. Everyone will die because no one can buy eternal life. Did you see that in verse 7? Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. You know, however much money you have today in your bank account, it cannot buy you out of death. There was a great film uh, about 10 years ago called In Time. You may have seen it, okay, where, where rather than getting paid in money, it's quite an interesting idea, you got paid in time. Um, so if you ran out of time, uh, you died. So the rich lived forever. They just earned more and more time. And the poor lived day by day, hoping they had just enough time to get through it. But it's just a film. Money doesn't work like that. Money is not time. 
It does not stop you seeing the grave. It doesn't keep you from dropping into that pit six feet under. Because money is the wrong currency. Why, verse 8? Because a life is too valuable for money. It's too costly. You are an image bearer of the eternal God. Money cannot pay for that. And also sin is just too great, isn't it? Again, verse 8, a price could never suffice. Our sin is, is not dealt with like fines in a local civil court. They're, they're crimes against the crown, the king of the whole creation. So all will die, the rich and poor, verse 10, the wise and the stupid, and they'll all leave their wealth to others. Elon Musk will not take his billions with him, but it will be shared out to others. You will not take your savings account or your nice house with you. You'll get given away. You'll get sold off. Verse 11, the, the rich, they, they even call lands by their own names. They're hoping that even their name will secure them somehow for eternity. But instead, verse 12, they will not remain. They have no final lodgings on this earth. Their, their only home is the grave. I recently saw uh, photos of an extraordinary mansion in North Wales. It was built in the 1830s by Lord Newborough. It, it was once a beautiful building, neoclassical, grand chandeliers over sweeping staircases, you know, three stories of grandeur. But Lord Newborough, he's, he's dead. His gravestone sits on a hill nearby, and his great house lies empty. The carpets are moldy and threadbare, The stones are crumbling, the great windows are cracked and broken as trees and plants slowly embrace it. Lord Newborough has nowhere to remain. Like an animal, he's died. As Spurgeon puts it, the hero of the hour will last but for an hour. All will die. Heavy stuff, isn't it? But God wants to give us wisdom this evening. Because having death in view means we won't get confused about the way the world works and looks. You know, much of our life actually keeps us completely centered on the present, doesn't it? You know, that's how social media works. It's all about the now. The, the, The things I'm saying right now, the picture I've taken right now, this instant. And that that turns up the volume on the importance of what is going on right now. The present, as the the philosopher Alan Jacobs said, the present feels infinitely consequential. It feels like it's the only thing that really matters. And so wealth and power become noisiest of all. They are the fanfare of the present. But death, death brings silence. It silences the present. It shrinks it down to size. It brings a totally different horizon into view. There's... There's something else than just the now. There's something else we actually need to be aware of. And as the present, particularly with its trappings of wealth and power of silence by death, it means we don't need to fear. We don't need to be afraid. Those who look so powerful and imposing, those who circle like wolves, well, to be frank, they're going to die like dogs. They won't last forever. Their money... And their power will leave them. They will be naked and lifeless with nothing but a gravestone and an empty house. The terrifying dictator, 
killing at will. The corrupt politician, the abusive boss, the greedy CEO, they will die. They will not have the final say in our world. So we do not need to fear them. Let death bring them down to size. Life is not in their hands. They are not the gods they believe themselves to be. Verse 12, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. But if that is so, it's not just a comfort for those who feel surrounded. But it's also a warning, a warning to the rich and poor alike. If all will die, if money can't buy time on this earth, then we mustn't, we mustn't trust our wealth. It won't save you from the one thing that's coming to us all. It can't redeem you, and you can't take it with you. Now, I know, I know our relationship with money in this world is complicated, isn't it? We need it to live, but this is about our hearts. Is your trust in money? This can be true if you have lots of it and also if you want lots of it. You know, are, you, are your feelings of security today based on the size of your bank account? And are your feelings of anxiety based on its shrinking size? Or, or does, does life feel powerful because of what you own or, or weak because you own so little? We can trust it as we spend it. We can trust it as we save it. Perhaps the the latest phone or computer just brings a new level of ease to life and then the next one and then the next one and the next one. But abundance will not buy us eternal life. We will all die and it might well be soon. As in Jesus' parable of the rich man, God saying this, fool, This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Perhaps this knowledge this evening will just help money, money that we have or that we want to have, just sit a little looser in your grasp this evening. We won't hold it quite so tightly, but we'll use it. Use it to bless others. Use it for the good of God's kingdom rather than for our own present power, present security. All will die. Let the, let the gravestone and the empty house bring wisdom. But is that it? Is that it this evening? Should we just finish there? Yes, all will die. But surely at that point, we should try and make the most of the now if, if, if all will die. If that's all there is, surely we are missing out Well, the the psalmist gives us a second answer to why we shouldn't fear. Yes, all will die, but secondly, some will yet live. All will die, but yet some will yet live. This is verses 13 to 20. Now, in verses 13 and 14, the psalmist continues a similar line. This is, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. And what is their path? Verse 14, like sheep. They are appointed for shale. That, that's the place of the dead. You know, death shall be their shepherd. It's quite a dark picture, isn't it? Rather than sheep being brought to streams of water and green pasture, they're herded by death to the place of death. Death is like a grim reaper. It kind of takes them into the shadows. But we're given this again, I think, to give the starkness of the contrast. Verse 14 
the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Now, this is an extraordinary moment. All will die, and yet here we hear of a morning. A morning that rises after the night, after the darkness of death. The the fingers of dawn will open the curtains on a new world. The the black cold will be swamped by the, the warmth of the blazing sun. It will break into a morning of wonder. A wonder of king, a morning of king-like rule. The upright will rule in the morning. How can that be? How can this be true when all will die? Verse 15, but God will ransom my soul from the power of shale, for he will receive me. God will ransom my soul. Money can't, but God can. Now, writers in the Old Testament knew there was life after death, but they, they only saw it dimly, like trying to look through a tinted, mist-up window. They, they saw its outlines, but not much more. Here the psalmist knew God could ransom. God would ransom him for eternal life, but he did not know how. Because all becomes clear at the arrival of Jesus Christ. Jesus said himself that he came to give his life as what? As a ransom for many. His blood was poured out as he was nailed to a cross. The blood of an innocent human being, a man not deserving death, not dying for his own sin, but the sins of his people. But this was blood of of infinite worth because it was the blood belonging to the Son of God. Only as Christ died on that cross was a price paid for the ransom of many. God has ransomed the souls of his people through the death of Christ. It's incredible. What we couldn't do, God has done. And so, again, as Jesus himself said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Some will yet live. With the price paid, it means Christ's people will not stay dead forever. The grave will not be their home for all generations. Now, how do we know? Because Christ's grave is empty right now. There is one grave on the planet without a rotting body in it. The stone is rolled away. And the tomb is empty. And that's the guarantee that there'll be more than one. If he rose from the dead, then the price was fully paid. The ransom achieved, and so the dead will not stay dead. Some will yet live. And you see who it will be, verse 14. It's called the upright. But then we see what that means in verse 15. It's those who trust in God to do the ransoming. Who we trust impacts the results. You know, it's like being given a, a thick rope to cling onto as we're lifted to rescue or a frayed thin one. You know, which one you hold on to matters. If we, if we trust in wealth, it's only going to snap and drop us. But if we trust in God, well, that's a different story because he sent Jesus. He's uh, where our trust should lie, not in the bank account flush with cash, not in the make of our car, the quality of our phone. 
But in the God who can ransom a life from a grave, the God who's conquered sin and death, who rose again on the third day, if you're not a Christian here today, you are so welcome with us. We love having you, and I hope you can hear this. We are not here because we just want something to do on a Sunday. We're not here because we just like to sing. We are here because we believe Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, just outside Jerusalem in the Middle East, arose from the dead, emptying his grave, having died a death in the place of his people. The stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. Yes, we will die. But we believe death is not the end. Some will yet live a new physical life. Now, in your life, you will trust in something. We all do. We have to. But what I'd love you to think about this evening as you you go from here is this, is, is what you are trusting in going to deal with death? We will all die. Money can't save you from it. Family can't. A legacy can't. But Jesus Christ can. He not only saves people from the grave, but also from the punishment from God that our sin deserves. It is a wonderful salvation. Can I urge you this evening to consider Jesus Christ? If he rose from the dead, it changes everything. If he didn't, we should just pack up our bags and go home right now. Who are you trusting in? But this truth also speaks into our fears again. Verse 16, be not afraid. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. See, it's easy to look at the life of a wealthy person and be worried we're missing out, as we said earlier. We we, we see their fancy car. We see their exciting holiday photos on Facebook. I don't know, the activity clubs and extra lessons their children are involved in, their, their nights out, and we have FOMO. We have fear of missing out. But but God is showing us something vital. Because it's actually the life lived trusting in wealth that is actually a wasted life. Do we really believe that? Verse 17, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. For his glory will not go down after him. Do we believe that? They are the ones missing out, not you. Verse 20, it's very similar to verse 12, and it summarizes this point. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. The one with understanding, that is spiritual understanding. Eyes to see that death is not the end, that there is a morning to come, that 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 person will not waste their life. Why? Because a life spent with God will find rest and reward in eternity. We will be with God forever. Listen to to Jesus' words. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, well, what will save it? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Isn't that an incredible promise? Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. A life spent for Christ is actually a life well lived. Since since everything is stripped bare in death, we, we can give it all away in life. 
We can lose our lives for Christ's sake. And with eternal life to come, we won't have lost anything, only gained. Listen to Tony Ranke from the book the students were reading together recently. He says this, If you are in Christ, the sting of missing out is eternally removed. FOMO-plagued sinners embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he promises no eternal loss. All that we lose will be found in him. All that we miss will be summed up in him. Eternity will make up for every other pinch and loss that we suffer in this momentary life. The doctrine of heaven proves it. The new creation is the restoration of everything broken by sin in this life. The reparation of everything we lose in this world. The reimbursement of everything we miss out on in our social media feeds. Isn't that incredible? Knowing some will yet live takes away our fear. It takes away the crushing weight of all the lives we imagine we're missing out on. Because the one good and perfect life is yet to come, and that frees us, frees us to live the good life now. Not the life pursuing money and wealth, but the good life spending ourselves for Christ's sake and for others. Is your life filtered through the lens of eternity? I know this is hard to do, especially at the moment when, when things are becoming tricky financially. Rising costs, increasing fuel prices. I, I know for me it can take up a lot of thinking time. It can crowd out our thinking about other things. But we must guard our hearts. If it's all we think about, we'll lose the sight of eternity and we'll lose wisdom. Spurgeon puts it nicely. He says, temporal prosperity. He says, wealth now, temporal prosperity is too small a matter to be worth fretting about. Too small a matter to be worth fretting about. Let the dogs have their bones and the swine their giraffe. Now, yes, we must consider our financial situations. We must care for our families. We must use our resources well for furthering his kingdom, caring for the needy. But check your heart. Now I check mine. Is it one of fear? Is it one of fear of missing out? Fear of not having the wealth you want? Or is it at peace in trust of our God, even when life is hard, even when uh, things are financially tight? These words have challenged me. Spiritual understanding. A view of eternity is worth more than winning the lottery. This is what Jesus always taught us. Just think about how he's taught us to pray. To pray, your kingdom come. He wants us to pray in light of eternity, to pray for it to come, to pray for the morning to break. And then once we've prayed for that, to then pray, give us today our daily bread. That's what I need. That's what my family needs, our daily bread. Some will yet live, and that flips our present on its head. Rather than always in a state of fear that I I don't have what I want, I can be content, content because glory is to come. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. So as as the gravestone and the empty mansion, 
taught us that all will die. Let that gravestone that's been rolled away and the empty tomb, may that teach you that yet all will live, some will live. And may that bring us wisdom and not fear. Amen.